Well, praise God. Well, are you glad to be in church today? Well, get your Bibles out this morning. And uh, so a, a few things before we get going. I've heard all kinds of good reports. I don't want to hear any bad reports. So praise God, just give me good reports. I've been hearing good reports about everybody's reading their chapter. Now, if you're with us for this morning and, and you don't know anything, we're as a church, we've got the plan. We're calling it the plan, the plan going on, where we as a church are taking one chapter per week and reading it as a family, okay, and discussing it and asking some questions. What does it say? What do you see? And how can we use that to serve, okay? Say, see, serve. And uh, been hearing all kinds of people sending me. I hadn't heard all these great revelations. Everybody keeps telling me, oh, i got a great revelation. But, you know, if you do, I just want you to know, if you submit it to me, your revelation, then I will steal it and preach it if it's good enough, okay? And I will not give you credit. So don't, you know, that's just, that's just the cost of doing business. So uh, praise God. But uh, so we first chapter we let, read was Luke chapter 2, and then last week was John chapter 1. And this week is Luke chapter 4. Luke 4. Look at the person beside you and say, Luke 4. I had people tell me last week that I didn't tell them, and I said, I did tell you, and you weren't listening. So look at the person on the other side and say, Luke 4. Okay, all about the temptation of Jesus and uh, what went on there. I had to just check my notes to make sure I told you the right one. <laughs> it's getting kind of confusing to me because I'm having to stay a week ahead of y'all. So I can already do a video and everything, so I'm a week ahead. So that's why whenever somebody asks me, I'm like, well, what are we doing? Because I know what I did this week, but that's the week ahead of y'all so that I... Anyway, it's complicated. So praise God. So Luke chapter 4. Everybody say Luke chapter 4. All right, and so, you know, my encouragement is we started this out <clears throat> out of Isaiah 62.10, of God saying that if we would open up the gates, if we would open up the gates of our heart, then he would flood in. I believe 2019 is, is the year for God to give you revelation and to, and to really do some amazing things in your life, but he, so many times we're looking for God to do something for us. Instead of us taking an initiative and doing something and God using that is a difference. You can sit around all your life and say, you can pray. You can pray this prayer. Jesus, I want to be saved. No, let's change it. Jesus, save me. Let me ask you a question. And I don't want to get real technical here. I'm not making this theology. We're not going to put this into the doctrine of the church. Okay, just an example to try to show you something. If you prayed a prayer and you said, Jesus, save me. No, that doesn't work. Let me get it right. If you prayed a prayer and you said, Jesus, I would like to be saved. But you were just asking that as a question. You were wanting him to do something. When he already did something for you 2,000 years ago on the cross, wouldn't you be more of the right way to pray? Say, Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. Come into my life. In other words, you're taking an initiative and doing something with it. And a lot of times in our lives, we're sitting around and we're not living under conviction. We're not living under, under uh, a taking a step forward 
with what the word of God says so that God can then move in it. We're wanting him to move and then we'll move. But he wants you to move so he can move. So I'm believing that as you read your Bibles, as you move out in believing him that he's going to speak to you, then he's going to speak to you. Is that making sense? I got a little, little confused there. Y'all all with me? We're all on the same page? Everybody out there listening and watching, don't send me a letter, okay? <laughs> Your theology's wrong. I'm just saying, God wants us to do something, and I'm just believing. I can see it. I close my eyes, and I pray for y'all every day that you're sitting down with your families. You open up the Bible, and it just comes alive. I see, you know, I got a big imagination. It comes out, you know, it's just gleaming out. Y'all are just being touched, you know. Everybody's just falling out in the spirit. There, God coming out. Things are happening. Oh, what's this? Everything's going on. And then I see, I shoot for the sky, and then whatever, if you just read it, I'm happy. (laughs) But anyway, y'all, I'm hearing great things. People are seeing great things in discussion. We got to get back to families. We got to get back to having conviction for the Word of God. All right? And when I preached about conviction, I've already gone over those messages, but just a little highlight. Conviction doesn't mean we always think conviction is a negative word. And so. Uh, I got a, a loose cord up here, so y'all forgive me. We're going to figure it out, something, or I'll just stand perfectly still, stoned. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> We've got to have conviction, and conviction means not, it's not a negative word, that, a, a word to make you feel bad. Conviction means the enlightenment, it means you're, the, the Holy Spirit is showing you something that then is illuminating to your life. Yes, it may be something you need to change, right? That may be the enlightenment. You have to change, and then you feel bad because you've really been acting wrong, and now you have to change. Yes, it could be a little uncomfortable, but conviction's great because God's showing you what to do so that then you can have success, have victory. Amen? So I want to show you something else this morning. So go into the Old Testament, the book of Exodus chapter 24. Exodus 24. And I kind of got to do a little like preaching this morning, you know, a little bit of teaching, a little bit of preaching to get you to get all this and get you to understand it. But <clears throat> the Lord showed me something here and, and I honestly, I never heard anybody preach it. But that doesn't mean that there hasn't, because there's nothing new under the sun. But I think I got some insight here this morning to help you in your conviction about the Word of God. In Exodus 24, 1, we find the story where, where you know, the children of Israel come out. Uh, Moses is getting ready to go up on Mount Sinai. He's getting ready to visit with God, meet with God. And God's getting the Ten Commandments. All these things are taking place. God's giving them the instructions of everything they need to do about building the tabernacle and all this kind of stuff. But I want to do a little reading here. I need to read these verses for y'all to catch it. So I'm in verse 1. And he said to Moses, Come up unto the Lord, come up unto the Lord, thou and Aaron and, Na- Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship, and they will worship from afar off. And Moses alone shall come up near the Lord, but they shall not come near. Neither shall the people go up to him, for Moses came and he told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord will say unto you will do. And Moses wrote these words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning 
and he built an altar under the hill with 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel, which offered burnt offerings and sacrifice, peace offerings and oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it on the basin and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and he read into the audience of all the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. Okay, so a lot of times we think about the Ten Commandments just simply being the the two stone tablets with Ten Commandments on it, okay? But there was a whole lot more. If you go read through all of uh, the book of Exodus starting in 20 through about 26, 27, you see all the things that God said. Everything that God said, look, if you'll listen and obey my voice, this is what I'll do for you. But this is what I want you to do, all right? If you be obedient and do this, then I'm going to do this for you. It was a covenant, all right? Now, we don't understand covenant. We, we Americans, we don't understand covenant because we, we, we look at everything as a contract. And as y'all all well know, contracts can be broken if you find the, uh, uh, the best attorney, right? They, they can be broken. Some, some can't, but a lot of contracts can be broken. And so we don't have a lot of faith in a contract, but it should be, you know, I grew up in the age of my father. I saw him do deal after deal after deal and nothing on a handshake. But those days are gone. Nobody wants to do that anymore or they do it and then turn around, you know, and do something else. But anyway, so we understand contract, but a covenant was really, 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 really powerful. A covenant meant that you went to this person and you thought about what you were doing. And you were going to cut a covenant. If Grant and I were going to cut a covenant together, we, you didn't just do it lightheartedly. You thought about what you were doing because the rules of the covenant were simply this. You stated what each other was going to do for the other one. All right. You exchanged a gift. You shed blood. And then if he broke that covenant, I had all the right in the world to kill him. Okay. There was no tenderheartedness. There was no getting down on his knees and saying, oh, Robert, forgive me. I'm sorry. You know, please, you know, just help me out here. No, you broke the covenant. I kill you. Now, you had the ability to run into the temple at a certain time when, the, when the, all the cities of Israel were there and you could fall on the horns and you could grab hold of the horns of the altar and you could cry out for mercy. And two, one of two things would happen. If the elders judged that, well, yes, he did break the covenant, but he didn't really do it in a malicious manner, this or that or the other. Well, if he, if he did that, then he, he could live out his life in the city. But if he ever stepped his foot outside the wall, I could kill him. Or... They would read over and see what deals. And I said, look, this is the terms of the covenant. This is the covenant I made with him. This is what I said. This is what he said. And this is what we agreed. And they said, well, you're right. They would throw him out of the city so I could kill him. All right? No big deal. No judgment on me, even with God. There was no judgment. Are you with me? That's pretty severe, right? And just say, I mean, it wasn't like the checks in the mail. <laughs> I mean, it was... You're not supplying what you need. So you didn't just cut covenant lightly. Are you with me? Now, God Almighty gave Israel a covenant, God. And he said, if you do this, I'll do it. And Moses wrote all of that down too. Not just Ten Commandments. He wrote all of that down too. There was a book. Are y'all with me? Not just two tablets of stone. There was a book with all of this written down in it. Most of it we find 
in the book of Leviticus. Okay? Most of all the laws are written down in the book of Leviticus, okay? But they're also in Numbers and Deuteronomy here in Exodus. There's all parts of it. But, and they call that the first five books, the Pentateuch, or the Jewish people call it the Torah. But it wasn't all of that because at this moment that I'm reading to this to you here, they hadn't written Genesis. But all the covenant of what God said, the terms of the covenant were written down, and they were in a book. All right? Let me read on. He took the book of the covenant and he read in the audience of the people and they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. So he read the terms and the people said, yeah. So Moses took the blood, he sprinkled it on the people and he said, behold, the blood of the covenant, which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. In other words, he said, this is the blood. This is the sign, the seal of the covenant. Covenant had to be cut with blood. You know, the old. You know, the, 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 every, every, every nationality, every tribe, every custom, every, every, all over the world, they have some form of blood covenant, you know? As kids, you used to maybe cut your wrists and you made blood covenant, right? You didn't know what you're doing, but blood had to be shed, okay? And so Moses did this, and just get this, I, I want to really pound this impression into your mind. He, he saw it, he wrote it, they wrote it all down, they put it in there, and then he cut, he took blood, and he said, this now is the blood of the covenant. Covenant talk. The kind where I will smoke you if you don't do what you said you're going to do. Then he went up, Moses and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 of the elders. 70 of the elders. It wasn't just Moses, 70 of the elders. And they saw the Lord God of Israel. And there under his feet as it was the paved work of sapphire stones, as it was the body of heaven in, his, in its clearness. And upon the nobles and the children of Israel, he laid not his hands. And also they saw God and they did eat and drink. They went up and sat and ate and drank with God. The 70 elders, Moses, Aaron, and his sons, they went up and ate with God. Cut covenant. Everybody say cut covenant. Okay. Now, if you would, jump over to Exodus 25, verse 1. Y'all just hang with me. 25, 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, and he shall take his offering. And this is the offering which you shall take, gold, silver, brass, blue, purple, scarlet, fine linen, goat's hair, ram's skin dyed red, badger skin, uh, shittim wood, oil of the light, spices, anointing oil, uh, sweet incenses, onyx stones, stones to be set in the ephod of the breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Now get this idea. God went up there, he gave them all the ideas, put them all in there about the covenant, put everything in there, and he said, look, I want to dwell with my people. The same God that came up on Mount Sinai that they looked at and said, they, they, they says that their knees exceedingly quaked and they said, huh, Moses, you go talk to him. We don't want to. Now says he wants to come live in the camp. Wants to come live in the camp with them. Okay? But I want you to make me a sanctuary. So he set about to make the tabernacle. All right? This is, the day, this is the day before Solomon's temple. This is the tabernacle. 
It was a tent. It had curtains on it. I'll just give you a description. You can go read it all. But basically, this tent was about 175 feet long and about 75 feet wide, okay? Because there gets to be a debate of the measurements, but I'm just saying it, that's about roughly the size of it, somewhere between 150, 175 feet long and uh, 75 feet wide. That's a little bit wider than this building and a, could be about this length, okay? And inside of it, then they had the Holy of Holies, which is about 15 by 45. So that's literally like, that's literally like where the columns are, like one, one bay here was as big as the Holy of Holies was. So my point is, I'm trying to say is it wasn't like it was huge. All right. So just imagine this being a tent. The tent walls are about seven and a half foot tall. They were a pole with a stick, a uh, 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 Rope coming down, tied up as a wall all the way around it. The Holy of Holies sitting in the center. You had your, 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 your altars and all that on there, and you had the outer court. And God said, I'm going to live and dwell with you there. God's going to be there. So let's read on. According to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle. Now just take note of that. According to all I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle. Now let me ask you something. If you're going to build a house and you get a set of blueprints, and those blueprints show you everything in the house, or the houses, but the blueprints are a pattern, they're not the house, right? Now, if I had drawn and built a house, and then the architects came in and checked all the blueprints to make it done, and there was a house over there, and then they had some plans, and we were going to rebuild a house over here, this one would be the copy of what the original was. Correct? According to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of the instruments thereof, so, that, that, so, you, so shall you make it. And it shall be an uh, ark of shittim wood, two cubits and a half by the length of thereof, and a cubit by the breadth thereof, and a, and a cubit by its height. This box, again, it depends on if you use a short cubit or a long cubit. This thing's basically a three by three by four box. Okay? Again, it's not really huge. You all just have to give it to me on the numbers because I can't tell you exactly because a cubit was from the elbow to the tip of the finger. So if I'm measuring my cubit and we get Chad Hillis in here and measure his cubit, all right, it's going to be different. So they have two types of measurements, a long cubit and a short cubit. A long cubit was somewhere between 19 and a half to 20 and a half inches long. So this box is about, I'm just going to say, it's about three by three by four box. All right. And so it's going to have, and that you should cast rings of gold for it and put on the four corners thereof and two rings that should be on one side and two rings on the other side. Now you shall have staves of shittim wood and overlaid them with gold. And it shall be put on the staves of the rings of the sides of the ark, and the ark may be borne with them, that the staves should be on the rings of the ark, that they sh shall not be taken from it. And thou shalt put in the ark which I shall give thee, and thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold, a two and a half lengths thereof, a cubit of half of the breadth of it, and make the two cherubims of gold, beaten uh, works shall they be at the ends of the mercy seat. And one of the cherubims on one end, the other one's on the other end, and even the mercy seat you shall make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubims shall stretch out their wings over and cover the mercy seat and their wings, and their faces shall look on one another towards the mercy seat. And the, and the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. And you shall put 
the mercy seat above the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I give thee. What's he talking about? That book that Moses wrote. And there I will meet with thee and commune with thee. I will meet with thee and commune. There I will meet with thee and commune thee. And uh, from above the mercy seat, between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony, and all these things I will give thee in the commandment of the children of Israel. So he said here, you're going to make this box. It's going to be, it's going to be a, a three by three by four box, and then you're going to put a lid on it. And the lid's going to be called the mercy seat. You're going to overlay it with gold. You're going to put a, 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 a gold leaf crown around this thing, and then there's going to be two angels. And these angels, these cherubim, are going to be on there, and they're going to be facing each other with their wings out like this. They're going to be facing each other in the mercy seat. And right there at that spot, I'm going to come dwell with you. I'm going to come speak to you. Okay? So just think about this. Here's the box, the overlaid in gold. Inside the box, you got the covenant, the word of God, his word to the children of Israel, the covenant. On top of the lid, it was a mercy seat. They made a sacrifice and they poured blood on the mercy seat and it stayed on there. Have y'all ever seen, have y'all ever, uh, ever left blood on any piece of metal for any length of time and watched it dry and see what happens? Okay? It crusts over, it makes a, 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 a hard, crusty film of red blood on top of that metal. All right? So now they've got the blood sitting on top of there. Every year the high priest had to go back in there and do that. But every year, when the high priest went in there to make the, the sacrifices and all, he heard he atoned for the sins of Israel. Now, listen to this. I had to go through all that to tell you this. God said he wanted to talk to them there. He said he wanted to make a sanctuary where he could dwell with his people, that he could have conversation with his people, that he could come and see them face to face and he could talk to them. And somehow after all of those years of going through the 40 years in the wilderness and going through all that they did, it turned out to a place to where the high priest only went in there once a year. Why would you only want to go talk to God once a year? He only went in there once a year. You know why? Because he was scared to go in there. Because if somebody went in there and they weren't righteous, they got killed. There's a story that goes around, and I cannot prove it, and some people say it's true, and some people say it's not, that the high priest would tie a rope around his foot and leave it hanging out the, the curtain so that if he, if he died in there, then they could drag him out because ain't nobody going to go in there and get him. And, and, and he, I don't know that that's all true, I, 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 but anyway, it, it would make sense. Hello? If, if God's glory just killed the high priest and you heard him hit the ground, because they had little dingle bells that hung around the bottoms of his, his uh, little, little uh, I was going to say dress, but, you know, well, whatever. Wasn't his leggings, you know, his chaps. But anyway, uh, and so if it quit making noise, you know, they knew that he got smoked, right? And so who wants to go in and get him? Because he was supposed to be the most righteous guy. But do you understand this? You get this, what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to paint a picture for you here, and I want you to understand and see that God wanted to talk with his people all the time. And God wanted to talk to his people over a box with his covenant word in there with blood on top of it and two angels sitting there. And he wanted to come in there, and he wanted to fellowship with man. He wanted to talk with man. He wanted to be with man. He wanted to be living with you over the word. Let me show you something else. Go to the book of Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, 19. Now, the writer of Hebrews is going over 
again, the priestly duties, and he, and he quotes this from where I've been reading. <clears throat> it says, when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and, uh, and hyssop, and he sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the testament of the Lord hath enjoyed unto you. Now just think about this. Listen to me. He took this covenant, the word of God, and he sprinkled blood on it. Sprinkled blood all over the people. He cut the covenant so that the word of God was bound in the covenant. Goes on and says, Moreover, he sprinkled the blood both of the tabernacle and the vessels of the ministry, and almost all things are by law purified by blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. And it was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these. What now? The pattern of things in heaven should be purified with these? The pattern of things in heaven? The pattern of things in heaven. But the heavenly things themselves, which are better sacrifices than these, for Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are a figure of the true. Are you hearing what I'm saying here? He says, Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands which are the figures of the true, but unto heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. As a high priest entered in the holy place every year with the blood of others, for then must he have suffered since the foundations of the world. But now once at the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. As it is, as it is appointed to men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So Christ once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them he, he looked on him shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. What happened was, is everything that I described about the tabernacle on this earth, there was already the real one in heaven. You hear what I'm saying? There was already a holy, holy, holy of holies in heaven. There was already an ark. There was already a mercy seat. There was already the... The covenant, there was already everything. It was already all laid out. There was already the, 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 the candlestick. There was already the show, table of showbread. It was already in heaven. All this was a pattern. It was sitting there. The tabernacle was in heaven. What they saw on earth, what Moses and them built, was a pattern of the real. And when Jesus went to the cross and shed his blood, remember when he met Mary in the garden? He said, don't touch me yet, for I've not yet ascended to your father and my father. Jesus himself went to heaven, to the tabernacle, as the high priest, and he walked in one time and poured his blood out on the mercy seat. He poured his blood out over, can I say this, the word. Remember? It's in there. The book's in there. Poured it out over the word. He poured it out over the mercy seat. It sat down in there. His blood, once and for all, the remission of sins. So why? So that man could have fellowship with God. So that they didn't have to meet as the high priest with a rope tied around your leg and some little dingle bells going in once a year saying, oh God, I hope he doesn't kill me. But that he could go, that we could all go in to the tabernacle. That's why it says, and come boldly into the throne room of grace. 
What's he talking about? That mercy seat, that, ta- that, that ark, that place where God would want to meet. To walk in there boldly and say, hey, Lord, I got the blood of Jesus on me. Are you following me? Could come boldly in there because the blood on top of that mercy seat crying out for you and me was not goat blood, was not calf blood. That blood was the blood of Jesus. And that blood speaks. The Bible says better things than the blood of Abel. That blood speaks that you are righteous, that you are holy, that you are unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. That's what the blood of Jesus speaks over you. In the tabernacle crying out to God. Now you say, well, what gives me the right? What gives me the privilege? I'm going to take a sidestep here and try to find back my place back in a minute. You say, what gives me the right? What gives me the privilege? Well, how can I do that? Well, wait a minute. Whether you realize it or not, the day that you believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, the day that you believed and you confessed with your mouth and you said, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God, come into my life, or your prayer may have simply been, help! But your heart was right, and God came into your heart that day, that day, you cut a covenant with Jesus. Now, you got to understand something about covenant. When you're cutting covenant, if I cut a covenant with Grant and Grant cut a covenant with Frank, well, then all of a sudden, Frank's now obligated to me because I cut a covenant with Grant, and so now Grant is tied in over here, and so I'm in, I'm in the family. Now, whose blood's on the mercy seat? Come on, whose blood's on the mercy seat? Jesus. Whose blood's on the mercy seat? Jesus. And who did I cut a covenant with? So if Jesus has got a covenant cut with God and I got a covenant cut with him, that that means everything from the Father belongs to me. So then why wouldn't Jesus say, uh, by the way, John 14, 15 or 16, he choose either one you want. And he said, oh, by the way, anything you ask the Father in my name, that he'll do for you so that your joy can be full. So I see Frank's got something I want. I go to Grant and say, hey, Grant, I got a covenant with you, and I need this from Frank. So he says, well, I got a covenant with Frank. He goes over to Frank and says, hey, Frank, I need that. He says, well, your covenant, okay. Well, it cost me. Well, I really want that. So Frank and, and Grant change, exchange whatever. And then I go to Grant and say, okay, and I want that. And he says, what do you got? I said, well, what do you want over here? He said, I want that. And he gets that. And so then everybody's happy. Do you follow me? I was reading this, this story uh, 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 about blood covenant, because I'm not supposed to be preaching blood covenant, but I just can't, qu- can't stop saying it right now. And, and it was a story of, of when uh, uh, Stanley was going into Africa to look for Livingston because he had been gone, and he goes in there and he, and he meets his tribal chief, and he's really bad, and, the, and the, his interpreter says, why don't you cut a covenant with him? He says, what are you talking about? So they explain covenant to him. So he says, well, okay, uh, I'll do it. So they cut the covenant. And as they cut the covenant that, you know, you knew there had to be an exchange of gift. Well, Stanley was sick. He had stomach problems and he had a milk goat with him, a white milk goat. And it was the most precious thing to him because there was, you know, he needed the milk to hurt, help his stomach. And so when the chief said, what are you, what are we going to exchange gift? What do you want? He said, I want the goat. And he said, oh, I'm giving up everything. So he got the goat and, 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 and Stanley got a spear, a big chunky spear. And he's like, great. You know, I'm going to die. I can't eat this spear, and I need my goat. And so they left, and so he was telling his interpreter, said, basically, I got ripped on this one. You know, man, he got my goat, and I got a spear. And he said, what are you talking about? Any place that any tribe sees you with that spear will give you anything. 
So he said, well, let's find a village where there's some goats. <laughs> and sure enough, they found him a village with some goats. He stuck up his spear. Everybody said, give him the goats. Because they didn't want to go to war with this other chief. That's the way covenant works. Now, Jesus' blood's crying out over the mercy seat. He's in covenant with God because he shed his blood. He paid the price for all of our sins. I'm in covenant with Jesus because, you know, he, he said, if I believe in him, anybody that believes in me shall not perish but have everlasting life. So I believe that Jesus is the son of God. I confess him with my mouth. He's in me. I cut covenant with him. What did I get? I got eternal life and all the promises and blessings of heaven. What did he get? Everything I got. My life. Me. Man, I'm off on a roll. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get back here. And so, so we, that's, what, that's what happens. We break covenant because we start holding things back. We start pulling back and saying, well, wait a minute on this covenant. You know, I don't really want to do that. I don't really. Holy Ghost comes to us and pricks on us and says, I want you to do this or I want you to do that. And we say, oh, well, you know, you know I kind of ignore that. I'll go find another church that doesn't believe that. So I don't have to do it and feel guilty about it. We don't want to walk in, the, in conviction. And I'm telling you, I want to walk in conviction because when I'm under conviction and I know that God's requiring something to me, I want to give it up because I know that that just gives me more of everything in heaven. It's a covenant, folks. I stand on my covenant with Jesus. It's crying out on the mercy seat of the true, the true tabernacle sitting in heaven for me. If I'm sick, I want my, my healing. It's in the covenant. If the devil's messing with me, I want my covenant. The destroyer's knocking on my door. I'm calling upon my covenant because he said, oh, I want, I want you to all that, you know, I want, I, want, I want your tithe. So I give him a tithe. And he says, I'll rebuke the destroyer. And I say, hey, the destroyer's out there. Get him. The destroyer's knocking on my door. And I just want to open the door and say, you're kidding. You're dumb enough to come up here and knock on my door? Really? Do you know who I'm in covenant with? See, I don't need to have some big prayer vigil and, 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 and you know, get, get into all the, 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 all the hoodoo voodoo I can possibly come up with to try to chase the devil off my house. I just say, are you serious? You're dumb enough to come to my house. Do you know who I'm in covenant with? He's going to pound your ears. What are you talking about? So I say I always get mad at the horror movies. Because always let the priest go walking in there holding a cross, shaking, and the devil throws up on him, spins around, and chunks him out the door. And I'm like, man, you don't even know who you're messing with. What are you talking about? Sickness, you want to invade my body? This body belongs to Jesus. You think you can do that? You can't do that. You're going to walk on the turf that belongs to my covenant partner? You see, folks, we're not walking in covenant, and we're definitely not walking on what's inside the box. Inside the ark, inside the box was the words of the covenant. And I'm telling you, in this New Testament, this new covenant, what's inside the ark. Now, I can't prove this, but I'm preaching it. What, 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 what's inside the ark sitting in the true heaven is this little thing you can buy at Walmart. The new words of the covenant. The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. Hello? I'm telling you, this is the book that's sitting in there under the new covenant with the blood of Jesus over it, where God wants to commune with you. So you go and you honor God with the word and you open up the word and all of a sudden, whoa. 
Because he wants to commune with you and speak to you because that's what he's always originally wanted. From the very first day of meeting up on Sinai, he wanted to meet with you, wanted to talk to you. He wanted to be right there with you. From the very first moment, said, build me a sanctuary. And are you going to build God a sanctuary? Are you going to take time in your home to build God a sanctuary and get out the most holy thing that you have in your possession? His living, speaking word. And lay that thing out in front. And say, God, we honor your word and what your word says. And I thank you for the terms of this covenant. And I believe it. I believe it with all of my heart. We don't worship the Bible. We worship God. But we sure are happy we got it. We sure do honor it as the words of the terms of the covenant. That by the stripes of Jesus, we are healed. That my sins are forgiven. That confess my sins to one another and I'll be forgiven. All terms of the covenant. What does he require on my part? All of me. He has my life and I have eternal life. He got the short end of the stick. Romans 3.24 says, Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. That word propitiation is is a word that should have been translated the mercy seat. It's what it means, mercy seat. That Jesus literally is our mercy seat. Jesus' blood is literally crying out over you so that the word of God can come true in your life. You say, well, pastor, I've been praying. I had not seen anything happen. Are you in the terms of the covenant? That's all I'm throwing at you. Are you in the terms of the covenant? Has God asked you to do anything that you've not done? Has God asked you to position yourself in a different place that you haven't done and therefore, possibly, you're not in the terms of the covenant. It's so funny to me that we Christians are so quick to point the finger at God and say He is not providing like He said. Then to look within our own heart and say, Oh God, like Peter, Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. We're so quick to point to God and say, You're not doing your part. Never examining our own lives to see if we're doing our part. No, no, let me tell you, it's by faith. It's not by works. Don't take my message wrong. Don't twist it around and say, oh, well, I guess we're supposed to be doing this because then that. Oh, listen to me. You know when you sin. If if you're in here today or if you're out there listening and watching, I'll give you a break because you might not know Jesus. But if you're in this room today and you're in here, you know Jesus and the Holy Spirit should be convicting you. When you've done something wrong, you should be convicted. And if you don't repent, shame on you. That is not God's fault. And if you live in guilt and you don't go have a conversation with God and you keep your broken relationship with Him, wishing He'd do something, but you don't really want to, you know, and He go back and forth like this all the time. Well, then, folks, listen, you're not going to walk in the power and the blessings of God. It's when you fall on your face and say, God, I am an idiot. That's how my prayers usually start. Lord, I am an idiot, my gosh. I don't know why you want me. I don't know why you don't smoke me. I'm so glad you don't. I'm so glad that I don't go up in fire. I love you. I praise you. I'm so glad you gave your life for me. I want to live my life for you. Teach me how to do it. That's how my prayers are. Because why should I try to fake it? Oh, Father, thou who sittest into the heavens, who rises above, whose breath, Puts the waves upon the sea. Oh, Lord, thou. I mean, what did he just say? What are you doing, Robert? (laughs) Now, that may be you, and that may truly be you, but that ain't me. 
So Hebrews 4.16 says, let's come boldly into the throne room of grace. Come boldly into the throne room of grace. Why not? I'm in covenant with the guy whose blood's sitting on the mercy seat. Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God's living. You know why it's living? Listen to me. Do you know why it's living? It's living because it's in the mercy seat in heaven with Jesus' blood poured on it. That's why this is a living word. That's why this is not ink on paper. It's because it's God-breathed and inspired, yes, but it's crying out in the mercy seat, His blood over the word that God wants to have fellowship with you. It's crying out all the time. Now, just think about this. Why not? 1 John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was the Word. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the Word. So it's living. Just get this picture. I want y'all today to leave this room with this picture in your head. There's an ark. Imagine it however you wanted to imagine it. It's got a gold rim around it. It's sitting in literally the tabernacle of heaven. Inside there is a Bible. And on top of that lid is the blood of Jesus poured out. And God says, I want to commune with you. So when you open that book up to Luke chapter 4 this week, I want to commune with you. I want to speak to you. I want to talk to you. I want to have, I want to have a relationship with you. When you need something from me, go throw open the word because it's a living word. It's powerful. It's going to speak to you. It's going to talk to you. It's going to, it's going to come and minister to you. It's going to show you something. Why? Because it's crying out there in heaven for you. It's covered in that ark by the blood of the Son of God. Amen? Now, this is what I want to ask you to do. Okay, just put your Bibles up. <clears throat> and I want us to just take a moment here. Because I want to ask you to... I want to ask you as individuals to pray right there at your seats and ask God for the power of this message to come into your life. To pray and ask God for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to be in your life over the Bible. Because I'm telling you, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is your answer. This is the answer to everything that you have need of. This is the answer. And I know that what a greater thing to be because I... You know, I'm not omnipresent. I'm barely present, much less to be omnipresent. All right? I can't be there and hold your hand through everything in life. I can't be there with everybody. But I'll tell you what, the Word can. The living Word of God can. The living Word of God can jump off and speak to you. The living Word of God can change your life. The living Word of God can just come up there every day. You can just open it up and read that chapter or any chapter or whatever you're doing and read. And that, that Bible, the Holy Spirit can make it just come alive to you because it's living, it's crying out from the throne. It's coming. You start to honor the word. You start to put your faith in it and honor it. You know, I'll be honest with you. Some churches and see everything that a church does, we have to be, always be careful because if I set it about like, okay, this is what we're going to do, then we start doing it. Well, then after a while, you know, generation goes by, you start losing the meaning, and then everybody's just doing it, and somebody says, why are we doing this? Says, I don't know. Why do we do this? And a lot of churches, it's, it's, it's tradition that when the pastor opens the Bible and begins to share the word that everybody stands up and honors it, okay? But then after a while, nobody knows why they stand up. They just, they just poke somebody and say, well, we just do that because, I don't know, the preacher opened the Bible, is supposed to stand up. But there's no heart. It's got to be the heart. You with me? I don't want to start a tradition and say, we're going to do this because 
I mean, literally, y'all would be standing up the whole service. But what I want you to understand is I want you to get that down into your heart, to honor the Word of God, to have a reverence for it. Not the book, not the pages, not the translation. No, I'm talking about God's going to use it to speak to you. What a blessed thing. Amen? What a, what a blessed thing. Now, I want you to dwell on. <clears throat> I'm, I'm trying to just hold it. I'm, I'm repenting the whole time of the thought that I'm thinking about this microphone. So the whole time I'm repenting and preaching, repenting and preaching about what I'm just about to do with this thing. <clears throat> Y'all don't want to see it. So anyway, your covenant. Your covenant. I encourage you, dig in the word and find out your covenant. Because that's what's yours. That's what's yours. And it's powerful. Don't give up on it. Don't let the devil talk you out of it. It's a powerful thing, a covenant, with your faith and belief in Jesus Christ and who he's in covenant with. Amen? So everyone just, matter of fact, everybody just stand, stand to your feet. If you're out there listening or watching today on this broadcast, I just want you to know Jesus loves you no matter where you are, no matter what you've done. He loves you and he wants to come into your life. He died and paid a price for you. His blood's crying out in heaven for you right now. But have you ever accepted it? Have you ever asked Jesus to come into your life? It's real simple. Just stop wherever you're at, whatever you're doing. And from faith and sincerity within your heart, cry out and say, Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I want you to come into my life. Forgive me my sins. Wash me in the blood. I want to live in heaven with you. And he will right there. He'll grab hold of you. If you're in here in this building today, matter of fact, let me have my prayer team come up. If you're in here right now and, and today, you, you, you didn't know that. You, you didn't, you, you, maybe you've, you've not been living in covenant. Maybe you've not been living and walking with Jesus. You didn't know it was yours. Maybe you just went through, you just thought you were born saved. I want to tell you what, you can't be born saved. You have to make a confession and a profession of your faith in Jesus. I believe very strongly in making a public profession. But I just don't really believe that if I coax you into something, that that's just what I want to do. I'm saying we're here up front to pray with you. If you know you're not right with Jesus, that's why we're up here. We want to pray with you. We want you to meet him. We want to, we want to set our agreement with you this morning. If you're in here today... And maybe you just going through, maybe this message pricked your heart. Maybe you want to come to the front and pray with one of our team people because you, you have maybe not honored the Word of God. You've not honored the Word of God. And that's what you want to do. That's great. You want to pray if you've got something going on in life and you're having to deal with sickness or something like that, we're here up front to pray with you. We'll lay hands on you. Call upon our covenant and believe God for miracles. Amen? But I want to tell you something, church. <laughs> we're in some great times. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God wants you to throw up your Bible and he wants to speak to you. And so take the person's hand beside you. And Lord, right now I just pray for every person in here. I pray, oh, Heavenly Father, this message is sealed, burned within their souls today. That, Lord, today that we realize how important your word is, we stand with the conviction of the Holy Spirit upon us to honor the living Word of God. 
That, Lord, today we have better insight. We understand why it's a living word, because it's crying out in that tabernacle for you. And so, Lord, I pray upon each, each person that they would be touched. That this week as they read through the chapters, it would, it would be so alive to them, so miraculous to them. That, Lord, their lives would be forever changed. And, Lord, God, I just ask you to bless them. But, Lord, let this day be a special day. I declare that as we go off to dinner on the grounds and we fellowship with one another, let it just be a special day. Lord, let, their, let our, 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 our brotherly love just run amok for each and every person. And, Lord, I thank you for it. Bless them, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you, church. Hello, this is Robert Richards, and you're listening to The Waterhole, our weekly broadcast, which is now available on iTunes and all major podcast platforms. You can also watch the weekly video broadcast on our YouTube channel. Link's in the description. I pray this has been a blessing to you, and if you've enjoyed this message, please share this with a friend. God bless you, and remember, no matter where you are and what you've done, Jesus loves you.